0: The biggest difference is that traditional swim lessons start with getting kids comfortable in the water so they can learn to swim. ISR teaches kids to swim so that they are comfortable and confident in the water. We're both coming from the same standpoint. We want kids to be safe and have a great time in the water. We just take a slightly different approach.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pete's Doc Talk Podcast, a podcast that keeps growing because of you and your reviews. So if you love this episode, make sure to leave a review or rating. And thank you for tuning in and being here every week. I am so excited to welcome Erica Wilson. She is a certified ISR instructor and owner of C-Star ISR. And you're probably wondering, what is ISR? We are going to go over that as well as the shortcomings in infant and child swimming classes. Thank you so much for joining me today, Erica. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So tell me more about yourself and what you do. I know we're going to get into what ISR stands for and what it is if people are not familiar with it, but just introduce yourself and a little bit more about yourself, if you will.
0: Sure. So I am a native Floridian, um, even though I just moved to Colorado. Um, I was born and raised in the Keys, so I've been around water my whole life. Um, When I became a mom, I started looking into swim lessons when my child was about six months old. And I explored all of the different types. Um, I actually spoke with this swim instructor. She said that at his age, he couldn't really do much, and you know, call her back when he was older. And I wasn't satisfied with that, so I looked into ISR, which stands for Infant Swimming Resource. And I spoke with our local instructor and got my child in there. So I was an ISR parent before becoming an instructor myself. So I have seen both sides of it. I'm actually about to see it from a parent's side again tomorrow because my six-month-old is starting lessons with a master instructor out here. And before I was an ISR instructor, I was in the business world. I was a nine-to-fiver. So I also understand, and we'll get into this in a minute as well, the time commitment that comes with these lessons and how challenging that can be, but also how rewarding it can be. Um, I got certified in July of 2020, And completed my third season of students just recently before the move. And it was very hard to leave, but it's been one of the most challenging and rewarding careers that I've had. So, and I did find my true calling. Water safety has become a huge passion of mine. Well,
1: I'm so excited to have you, like I said. And how old was your son when you were told that he was too young for swim classes?
0: Um, At the time, he was six months. And by the time I got him into ISR, he was 10 months. I think he was 10 months to the day when he, when he started. So because what a lot of people don't realize, they think that there's immediate availability. Sometimes there can be, mm-hmm. but a lot of the ISR instructors book up right. pretty far in advance. I know some instructors who are already booked through the end of this year, and it's July. Yeah, I mean
1: I am excited to talk to you because I think a lot of people don't know what it is and you said it perfectly already that there is a time commitment to it obviously there's a cost to it which we'll talk about like how it differs um related to regular traditional if you will classes but let's talk about that first you know can you explain the main types of sum classes so I know most of us Know your traditional sim class, which maybe we took as children, and then there is i s r Do you know how long it's been around for, or you know what is the differences, if you will, for anyone who's unfamiliar with it?
0: We've been around since nineteen sixty six so it's been mm, fifty six wow. years. yeah, a lot of people think that you know, oh, this wasn't around when I was growing up we were we just weren't everywhere. We've had a massive expansion. Throughout the past, like couple of decades, even now, we in South Florida alone, we have a number of instructors, and there are still instructors getting certified and approved as we speak. So, it was founded by um, Dr. Harvey Bennett. He had witnessed a child, a nine-month-old, drowning in a backyard. Like he came home one day, I believe it was his neighbor, and he was a behavioral scientist. So he created a behavioral science-based program for pediatric drowning prevention, and we are different in a number of ways from traditional swim classes and let's just be clear traditional swim for infants is like mommy and me classes um, when you get a little bit older to the toddler phase normally it's a group swimming class um, and definitely groups as you get older as well the biggest difference is that traditional swim lessons start with getting kids comfortable in the water so they can learn to swim ISR teaches kids to swim so that they are comfortable and confident in the water We're both coming from the same standpoint. We want kids to be safe and have a great time in the water. We just take a slightly different approach. So the lessons are all one-on-one with ISR. Um, It's only the instructor and the student in the water. And that's very different from some, you know, mommy and me or group lessons. The instructor is completely focused on that child. And that allows the lesson to be completely customized to that child. Traditional swim, it can take years to learn how to swim effectively and float independently. And children are not expected to swim or float independently until they're about like three years old. And most traditional lessons, like I mentioned group lessons, it's usually about a four to one ratio that can vary depending on the swim school or program you're with. And traditional lessons, each lesson is usually about 30 minutes and they're at varying intervals. So they could be once a week, they could be a couple times a month, sort of depending on your schedule or the program you select. ISR is more accelerated than that. We teach our children every day, Monday through Friday, for no more than 10 minutes a day. And that sounds kind of weird, like what can you really do in 10 minutes? But I'm sure as a pediatrician yourself and as a mother as well, you know Mm -hmm. that kids learn in short, consistent lessons. If they pulled a stand, they're not going to wait until next week to do it. They're going to do it over and over again because they learn best in short, consistent intervals. So the average session is about six weeks, again, because these are completely customized lessons. I've had children finish in four weeks. One child took me 11 weeks. It's completely up to the child and how they learn and everything and you know different things going on. So within those six weeks, your child is going to learn how to swim and self-rescue if they were to ever find themselves in the water alone. This is super important because drowning, it sounds like a news article or something, but it's completely true. Drowning is the number one cause of accidental death in children ages one to four years old. It is going to be a bigger threat to your child's life than gun violence, car accidents, poison, anything else. If you look at the CDC results, it's far and beyond what is taking our children's precious lives from them. So we don't have the luxury of time when it comes to these. So we need our kids to learn how to navigate the water effectively and quickly. So these Lessons are completely child centered. So the structure is different. And with it, like I said, no lessons longer than 10 minutes because everything is individualized to that child. So they're working the whole time. Something else that is different is our instructor training and certifications. I've been seeing on my Instagram a number of advertisements of swim schools that are hiring, and I looked at their hiring requirements, and it's very loose. With ISR instructors, we go through an eight week intensive training that's both in water and academics. Um, we are tested in child psychology, physiology, anatomy, and behavioral sciences. We have to recertify every year for our continuing education and to make sure that we're up to date on everything with the safety standards. And we always have to have a current CPR and first aid certifications. I believe that is still correct in traditional swim, but it could vary by the program. And then also, we take into account a child's medical and developmental history when they register. So each student must go through a national registration process, A parent's going to disclose, you know, child's medical history. And this is really important from a safety standpoint. If my child has an allergy to peanuts, I don't want my instructor to know that. Mm -hmm. If my child has a seizure disorder, that could affect lessons. So we have specific safety protocols for all of these different conditions and everything. So that also makes us a bit different because traditional swim does not take that stuff into account. So I
1: actually did ISR. So my son was in a traditional swim class and I was getting frustrated. Um, I'm going to use that word because of what you were saying. So what was happening is that he was in a group class and I felt as if he was in this group class and he got the one to four ratios, what they had. And he was just sitting on the side, playing with a train, getting comfortable with the water. But I know my son, I know that he needs to be challenged. Every parent knows their kid best, I think. And I felt like he needed to be challenged. He needed a little bit more attention. Um, so we did a little bit of one-on-one classes and I just felt like he needed a little bit more. And I live in Florida. I practice here. And I learned about ISR mainly through practicing in Florida because a lot of Florida families do ISR because of the amount of you know people who have pools or were just around so many bodies of water. So when I was practicing in New York, not many people knew of ISR. Um, this was also back like eight, 10 years ago. Um, and then when I was uh, training in California and medical school and whatnot, I saw a lot of drownings, but ISR again, wasn't as popular as it is now. So I'm sure if I went back now, it would be like that. But I was getting kind of like, wow, I just want a little bit more. So I, we did ISR. We did it for two weeks, but unfortunately we started it when there was a tropical storm. So of the 10 classes, you know, it's Monday through Friday um, for 10 minutes of the 10 classes, we only were able to do three and it was about 45 minutes drive. So my husband and I just talked about it and we're like, look, we don't own a pool right now. We don't have anyone who has a pool right now. So let's just continue traditional classes. And then when we're able to deal with the schedule, as well as maybe not in rainy season in Florida, we will do it again. You said that there's so many instructors that are kind of popping up. Surprisingly, where we live, there aren't many that are close to me. I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. There's not many that are close to me. And then a lot of them aren't indoors. So it's been a struggle trying to find someone. explains. box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. But one thing I wanted to ask you. So we were talking, you know, you mentioned about how it really focuses more on teaching the skills so that they can also be comfortable eventually and then survive versus mommy and me classes, traditional classes which like do a lot of comfort building and then teach the skill. I completely agree and that's why I did like ISR. So now with the one-on-one, right? Because like, I do think that the one-on-one is a huge thing. How would you explain the difference when someone is taking a one-on-one ISR class versus a one-on-one traditional class? Like what is it about ISR that is being taught to your child that is different than a traditional swim class? Because with the one-on-one with traditional swim, you could say that they also potentially do, you know, skills one-on-one 30 minutes versus five, 10 minutes when you're in a joint class. So what would be
0: the differentiation there? So the main difference between one-on-one in ISR versus ISR in traditional is, one, we teach on a sensory motor level, meaning we let the child experience the environment and respond to and perform to their internal cues. So we're assisting them the whole time and then fading our touch away. So it just helps us to customize the safety aspect to each individual child's aquatic history you know, so if a child came in and they're three years old, they've spent the last two or three summers of their lives in flotation devices. I'm going to come to that lesson with a different approach than a child who possibly had previous swimming lessons or has been in the water only being held by mom or dad. So everyone gets to the same end point. How we get there is very, very different. A lot of the traditional lessons are cookie cutter. I spoke to a couple of other instructors who teach traditional in addition to ISR or have taught traditional in the past. And traditional is much more. This is the lesson plan. This is what we're working on today. I was seeing up to 20 children a day when I was teaching in South Florida. I will be working on 20 different things usually because every single child is different. Any parent who has a child or who has multiple children especially knows that each child is very, very different. And to maximize those lessons, we need to honor their individualities so that they can be as safe as possible in the water.
1: Yeah. And, you know, part of that was kind of what I mentioned is that we were working with Ryan because he was having difficulty with learning how to blow bubbles, like meaning how to actually like not swallow the water. And so Mm -hmm. we were doing that in a traditional class. It just wasn't going anywhere. Obviously, we don't have a pool. So the only time that we can practice that is in the bath, which we were working on. But it wasn't until we started doing the ISR, even the three classes that we took, that she was actually able to work on, no, like, let's not actually swallow the water. We need to learn how to, like, not take that in. So it was different. Like, there was a difference in, hey, no, let's nip this in the bud. We do not need to, like, it just felt like it was when I did it for the two weeks, and I will hopefully be able to do it again. Um, I don't know when, but it just felt like it was more with an emphasis on let's make you survive here. And let's make uh-huh. you figure out if you find yourself in a body of water, how you're going to get yourself either into safety, whether that's, you know, getting on your back and then getting to like the edge of a pool or wherever you are. Um, and so I think that is to me the difference the survival like we want to make you survive if you find yourself in the water and this kind of leads me to let's talk about some misconceptions about ISR and I know you probably hear tons of them so one of the biggest ones that i hear or see is um someone will share videos of a dad or someone throwing a child into the water like just literally by one arm. My husband showed me a video the other day. He's like, hey, I think this kid did ISR. And I was like, yeah. So the video was on TikTok and a dad just throwing his infant toddler child into the water. And then the child immediately floats on their back and then is able to swim to the edge of the pool. And that is a skill that's kind of once you've kind of mastered ISR. But I think the misconception number one I want to talk about is People think that you're being thrown into the pool on day one like that. That is not how this goes. I can attest to that, that your child is not being thrown in, that these instructors that are trained in ISR are actually very, very into the child's development and making sure that they're comfortable. And I can attest to that. So you may see all that on TikTok and all these reels that children are getting thrown in, but these are children that have probably gone through ISR, know how to survive, and the parents are almost showing off their skills, but that is not how ISR works from the beginning at all. And I can say that for someone who did it for two weeks, but I'm sure that is one misconception that you hear too.
0: That's a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was looking into swim lessons um, in 2019, that was one of the first things that I heard. Oh, that's the one where you, they throw the kids in the pool. And I of course learned from a parent and from being an instructor that that's 100% not the case. One of the things we say is ISR instructors won't throw your child in the water but they'll teach them what to do when dad does. And one of the things about ISR, which is why I chose it for my own child, is that it is the safest survival swimming lessons because of the safety protocols and because of the registration process, but also the method and the approach that they take. It's a slow and gentle approach. I actually posted a video on Facebook a few days ago and it took off and went viral. And I disclose in the video, in the caption, in the comments, this is a fully skilled ISR student. And the video is this boy, he's 11 months old. He's on the edge of my pool. I'm close enough to him. So I'm within arm's reach because if he were to teeter totter one way, I'm going to grab him. But my hands are outstretched. He leans forward. I remove my hands and get out of his way so he can perform and do what he's worked so hard to do. And the videos that you see online are usually of fully skilled students or students that have already mastered skills from the instructors, whatever parents share on their own social media, that's their choice. It's not in our lessons, but, um, there are some families where, you know, okay, I can sense who these people are. I get all of my parents in for parent lessons so that they know what to do with their kids in the water. Once they're done, they've made this huge investment in their child safety You know, we want to maintain these skills and the parents want to have fun with their kids in the water with these new skills. So there are some parents that are like, (laughs) they want to do it. But in the lessons, we we don't do that because it's not a productive way to learn. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: What would be another misconception about ISR that you would say besides
0: this, you know, what we just mentioned? Um, One is that our lessons are traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And that stems from the fact that a lot of children, as parents, we know our kids cry all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. My three-year-old lost it one day. I I took a video of it because it was just so out of left field. He was eating a banana. It broke in half and he was devastated that he could not tape it back together. (laughs) So (laughs) kids cry when you put them in a car seat. So, and also on day one, it's my pool is new to them. I'm new to them. The parent is handing the child into me and they're not quite sure what's going on. So that's another reason why we take a slow and steady approach is because we know that it's a lot to take in. If a child does cry, I've had many kids who have never shed a tear, um, but it either subsides or changes to just sort of a, I don't really want to do this, you know, and it's kind of like going to see your personal trainer, you know, you're going to work hard, but you're not necessarily happy to see them. (laughs) and lessons are work. So, and kids know that they don't have control in the pool because they're not in charge. So that could be another reason why they cry. And I do have a number of toddlers. It's normally in like the two to three-year-old age range where they complete lessons. And then the parents come back for maintenance or refresher classes, which are very important because these skills are like learning a language. They need to be practiced. And the parent will say, he will not do anything. He just screams and cries and does not want to swim in the water. And I want him to have a great time. I want him to love the water. And I always tell them that being safe is the non-negotiable. Whether or not they like it, that is up to them. Some kids just don't like swimming. So they might scream and cry because they just don't like doing it. But the important thing is, is that they know what to do if they were to ever be in the water by themselves. They would be calm enough and rely on their skills that they worked hard on have a fighting chance of survival.
1: Well, also this whole thing about, you know, traumatizing and they're crying and it's forced and it's going to scar them. I mean, we see children who do traditional swim classes also cry, also not like the water. Like you said, some children don't like it. It doesn't mean that this is a bad thing. Like you said, like a banana is going to break. I talk about things like essential activities, like brushing your teeth. Some children don't like brushing their teeth, but are you going to stop brushing their teeth? No. Are you going to stop swim classes because of the fact that they're crying? You can think about it and a parent can make their own decision. And I really think that that should be the message here. But if you are living near a body of water. Like if you have a swimming pool in your backyard, if you have friends, family members that you are going to be in backyard parties and you think to yourself, oh yeah, don't worry. I'll watch my child. I need you to really prioritize swim classes and doing something like a self-rescue, right? Like I tell all my families who own swimming pools, I'm going to say it flat out. If you have money to afford a swimming pool and especially an in-ground swimming pool, you have money to afford ISR. Now, if you can't afford ISR, there is traditional swim classes and we'll get into the cost and accessibility and all that. Mm -hmm. But it is definitely different than traditional swim classes. And I think that fear thing, the people saying, well, it's traumatizing, it's traumatizing. I mean, listen, a lot of things children don't love. It does not mean that they're going to be traumatized forever. And in the end, you know your child best. If you feel like any swim class was not easy on your child, whether it was ISR or another self-rescue class or traditional swim classes, you have to really think about, well, what are your goals here? Do you want to sit next to the child and ease them in? But is that easing in, how long is that going to take? Or do you want to just rip the bandaid off and let them in with an instructor who loves them? I mean, these, you got, you know, all of you all and swim instructors, they, they want to make children feel good. They don't want to make children cry, but Children are going to cry sometimes, like you said. So that is great. The other misconception I wanted to talk about was people saying that you all don't teach children how to swim, only how to float. If we can talk about that one.
2: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.
0: Yeah, um, real quick with the previous thing, people also need to understand that trauma the definition of trauma is a deep emotional response to a horrific event. A lot of times it has to do with feelings of helplessness Mm -hmm. with our lessons. We are empowering the child with lots of positive reinforcement. Um, we celebrate every single victory. So, and by the end of the lessons, they might fuss in their float, but they're much more relaxed because they know what to do because they are empowered. So I wanted to make that quick distinction. Um, as far as That we don't teach children how to swim. We do Mm -hmm. when they are developmentally ready. Of course, our name has infant in it. That's how we started, and we teach as young as six months old. But once a child is walking, they can learn how to swim. So if a child is an early walker or a solid walker, we will start off, well, it depends on how you start off, but we will teach them how to swim in addition to the survival skills. Now, the reason why people think that we only teach floating is because we teach the back float to every single child mm-hmm. that comes into ISR. And the reason for that is, and one of the other key distinctions is that our skills are transferable. A lot of swimming lessons will teach turn and reach, like you fall into the pool, you turn and reach the wall. We teach that as well, but we focus more on the float because what happens if the wall's not there? Mm-hmm. What happens if you have to use these survival skills in a pond or at the beach? You know, and we teach the back float because it's an efficient way to get air, rest, and recover during an emergency. So if a child were to pop their head up, their hips drop, and they're into a vertical posture, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to get back into a horizontal posture to continue swimming. If they roll into the float, it's a much more efficient use of their time and their energy to conserve that energy because they might have a distance to go. And then if they get tired, they always have that float to rely on to get them rested and recovered. And
1: how young is the minimum age to start ISR? I know you said that they can kind of learn more when they're
0: walking in terms of the actual skill, but minimum age is what? Six months. Six um, months. As soon as a child is six months old and can sit up unassisted, the infants learn roll back to float, or we just call it you know, floating classes. So they will be able to enter any body of water at various angles, roll into their float, rest and breathe until rescued by an adult. A lot of people might think, oh, well, I'm going to wait until my child can actually swim. It's important that you start sooner rather than later because, as I said before, we don't have the luxury of time with water mm-hmm. accidents. You don't know when your child is going to need these. And it provides that wonderful foundation so that once they come back to advance their skills, they already have that rollback in that float. So then you're adding on the swim, and we call it the flip over when they're on in their float and then flip over to go back into the swim. So- The children who are older will learn how to swim until they need to take a breath, roll into the float, rest and breathe, flip back over and continue that sequence to safety or, you know, to mom or dad, the edge of the pool. So it's one of those things where you can use it. My child will swim, float, swim all over the pool when we're just playing. But if he were to fall in the water, he would know how to self-rescue. And he actually did. Back in November, we were at a beach. It was a very calm beach and he was fully clothed. We weren't intending to swim that day, but he was playing in the water. Got a little too far, lost his footing, went out into like the drop off deep area. He flipped right into his float. And he wasn't happy about it, but he was safe. And I picked him up and it was one of the most gratifying moments as an instructor. And I've also had students of mine, while they're in lessons, use their self-rescue skills. Like they've only been in lessons for like, a, I think one child was in lessons for eight days and he used them. He got knocked into the pool by the dog. Mm. And then another one used their self-rescue skills in the bathtub. Water is everywhere, and yeah. well, you know, you mentioned that if you're near a body of water, it's super important. There are so many kids that come to our state, or well, your state, <laughs> that come to places with water on vacation. Like last year, the drowning deaths in Florida last year were astronomical. Mm-hmm. Ninety-eight children passed away, and twelve of them were on vacation. Yeah, so twelve families came to Florida for vacation and experienced an ultimate tragedy. So like I said, the skills are transferable and um, you get that foundation because we just say the sooner, the safer. You never know when something could happen. My sister, her daughter went through um, ISR. She was filling up the bathtub and she turned her back for a minute and she turned around and her daughter is like seesawing over the side of the bathtub, about to go in headfirst. So, you know, it's, it can happen so fast.
1: Yeah. And we know this and it's, it's those scenarios of drownings are such that the parent reports and it usually is that they turn their back for a minute and, you know, it's big parties, it's distraction, things happen. It's not anything that was ill-willed or meant to happen. Mm -hmm. No parent wants their child to suffer this consequence of drowning. So we have to first have empathy for the drowning, but also how can we not make this happen again? And we have to teach families about resources and proper swimming rescue. Now, the last thing I want to go over is the recent AAP recommendations that came out, which I know many of you don't agree with. I also don't agree with this, that, and I want to just talk about this thing in particular, okay? Does AAP recommend infant swim classes? Um, and in their recommendations, they said no, because there's currently no evidence that infant swim programs for babies under one lower drowning risk. Okay. So what would you say about that? in your feeling? I understand there may not be actual scientific data, but what do you feel when you hear that?
0: Well, first, it's important to note that there's no research with any swimming program at all. Correct. So an infant swimming resource is often called out because we are a company that is nationwide. So it's just an easy thing to say. Infant swim classes like infant swimming resource. So I think it's a blessing and a curse because we are so well-known, but then we're also put into the You know, it's the mix of this is one that we don't recommend. Um, The AAP, it was surprising to me when I learned this, the AAP is not a research organization. Whatever they put out a recommendation, it is based on research from someone else. Mm -hmm. Like the back to sleep campaign, they made that recommendation to put your baby to sleep on the back because the NIH did a research study and found that that was the safest way. So the AAP is super important but they are the last step in the process. So in order for them to recommend a specific swim program, then someone else would have to foot the bill and do the research, which is also very tricky because there's no way to have valid empirical research because subjecting students to potentially dangerous situations is unethical. And then also there are instances where you know, a child might be out of lessons for a significant amount of time and they haven't been practicing or the child is put back into flotation devices causing skill regression and then they fall into the water, you know, so there's a lot of, it's impossible to eliminate all of those um, external variables. But I will tell you that every single ISR instructor has at least one, if not multiple survival stories from their swim parents. Mm -hmm. I received my first one At the very end of my training, a child that I worked with in my training used his skills to self-rescue when he fell in the family pool. Um, Especially if someone's on the fence about ISR or doesn't really understand what it is, I really encourage them to contact your local instructor and ask to observe lessons. Yeah, Because it's very different what you see on social media, the misconceptions that are out there, when you actually talk to the instructor and see the children coming through. And then go back a couple weeks and see where those children are then. It's sort of just... Seeing it with your own eyes. Um, they reduced the age, the recommended age from for swimming lessons from four years to one year a couple of years ago after a few drowning deaths. And some, I know you've spoken to Nicole Hughes before. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicole Hughes and Morgan Miller worked with the AAP to lower that because all of these kids between the ages of one and four are dying. Why are we? suggesting that they don't get into swim lessons until four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did reduce it. So we are on the right track. Like they want to reduce drownings as well. They are on the same side. It's just the difference in the way the organization works. And
1: Well, I can speak can- more about the, how the organization yeah. works because, yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> right. they, yeah, yeah. They, they are not, you're right that they're not a research organization, but what they do is they take the research from other parties, but they are so research focused in the sense that sometimes they can't just look at, Evidence based on clinical practice, based on what we see in the world, because they want to be so evidence based. Does that make sense? So, but that's actually a negative that you're being Uh so evidence based that you can't look at. Well, look at all these children who are doing really well with ISR. Let's use formula as an example. Look at all these children that are actually having really great outcomes with formula. Yes, breast milk has benefit, right? I'm using it as an example, but we have to understand that if you start to get so evidence based, there's, like you said, there's not ever going to be a perfect study because parents are not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to choose something that maybe will not teach my child how to survive, right? Like you want to, it's not going to be an easy study. So that is the issue. Um, And then they also talked about like the, you know, really recommend mommy and me classes, which I'm sure everyone who's ever had a drowning, it's like a punch to the gut. Like, you know, like, what do you mean mommy and me classes? Like, I also don't love the concept of mommy and me. Like I want to teach your child how to survive is what I want. Especially, like I said, if you are, going to have a pool, own a pool. You are going to be around anyone who owns a pool. I mean, that is absolutely needs to happen. And I can't say everyone should do ISR or everyone should do self-rescue because of the cost and time commitment. But if you can, I believe that it's a great resource And you know, that's why I have you on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the mommy and me classes, that was one of the options that I looked into when I was researching swim lessons for my child. And I thought to myself, that's not going to do anything for me. I, the same thing that you said. I don't want a play date. I want a child to survive. Yeah. I have a lot of parents come to me from other swim programs saying we've been at XYZ school for X amount of time. They weren't really learning anything or they've been in these lessons for a while and not ISR, but in other lessons, have an accident and then realize, oh, shoot, you know, we need to get something a bit more accelerated. Yeah. And with the AAP, I mean, it's one of those things. There are so many dangers out there for our kids, Mm -hmm. but most of the drownings are happening between May and August every year. Mm-hmm. If you go to the healthy swim or healthychildren.org right now, their homepage marquee covers gun safety, COVID vaccinations, tragic news events, and the baby formula shortage. All very important things. Yes. However, I did a word search for drowning, not one mention. So I think that there are a lot of missed opportunities. And one of the biggest missed opportunities is that they say the parent child. Classes are a good introduction, which they can be for a mm-hmm. lot of families, mm-hmm. but you have to think, what are we teaching our children? Are we teaching them that water is a warm and fluffy place and that mommy's always going to be there for you? Because she's not going to be. Mm-hmm. In the drownings last year, more than half, almost three, no, two thirds of them, the child got out of the home undetected, wandered off, um, was unattended. So these drownings are happening when mommy is or daddy is not there. Yeah. So I feel like that recommendation is a missed opportunity. Um, And then they also say that by their fourth birthday, most children are ready for swim lessons. Like I've said, what about those children under the age of four that are at that increased risk? So we're getting there. Yeah. And the AAP has been wonderful with, I've spoken to Nicole Hughes about it multiple times. They have been wonderful with trying to update the guidelines. But like you said, based on the way that they work, it's not going as fast as we would like. So but the fact that they have lowered the age range and that more pediatricians are talking about water safety is amazing. So we're getting there. It's it's slow going, but we're getting there.
1: And I also want to talk about puddle jumpers because when I did ISR, my instructor was like, make sure he does not use puddle jumpers. We actually never use puddle jumpers as it was because I did hear the concerns about it from other safe swim advocates. Now, what is the risk of puddle jumpers and explain that to families who may be using it so that they can make smart choices with the use of them. So there's,
0: there are a couple of things that go along with them. Um, Swimming postures, a puddle jumper is going to put your child in a vertical posture. And because I mentioned that children are sensory motor learners, their body is being trained to be in that position in the water. However, your child is getting their air in the water is what position they will assume if they were to ever find themselves in the water alone. So a vertical posture is not maintainable. It's called Mm -hmm. the drowning position for that reason. So if these children are only being in the water with a puddle jumper on, and let's be clear, the puddle jumper is a company name. There are other similar style devices like that out there that go under different company names, but children think they can swim with them on. And the flotation device is weightless. It's the same temperature as the water, same density as the water. It's kind of meant to be forgotten about. So a child will likely think they don't have the cognitive ability to understand that they cannot swim or maintain their breathing in the vertical posture that they're in that puddle jumper if they were to be in the water without it on. There are a number of drowning deaths that have happened because a child was used to wearing a puddle jumper in the water and they would go into that vertical posture and would either be be injured or not make it. And then we also recommend to not use them after a child has been through swimming lessons because We are teaching them to be in a horizontal posture by Mm -hmm. putting them in something that's in a vertical posture that's giving them conflicting information about the water and it can undo skills.
1: This is so important. And one of the biggest questions I get asked then is if you're not going to use a puddle jumper, obviously observation is key. Even if a family does ISR or whatever, you need to be observing your child, right? That's the bottom line message also. But what can a parent use then if they have multiple children, right? And they're having water day and they want something like, is there something that's better or more preferred, if you will, than a puddle jumper um, for protection
0: along with observation of a child? and some lessons. Mm-hmm. Yes, I recommend a one-to-one parent-child ratio. So if you mm-hmm. have more kids than arms, you can go to a splash pad, use a sprinkler water table, mm-hmm. maybe try to enjoy the water outside of the swimming pool because we all know that the pool can be dangerous and we want to be sure that our children are safe as possible. Um, when you're in the water, let's so let's say you have two kids and both mom and dad are there, two adults are there, I would be holding them and playing with them. And while a lot of people will say, oh, well, you're holding them in a vertical posture as well. It's completely different because they can feel the weight and the, the fact that you are a different density than the flotation device. They know by touching you, I have contact with mom or dad. I have access to my air. So they know that they are reliant on mom or dad for access to that air. Something else. And I only recommend this to families that I really know If you have a very thick raft or one of those um, inner tubes, but it has a mesh bottom so that they can be on top of the water, but not in that dangerous posture. As long as you're within arm's reach and really focus on your kid, like obviously supervising them, Mm -hmm. that can be a less dangerous thing for them because they're not in that vertical posture in the water. They're on top of it.
1: The other thing about puddle jumpers, I mean, I know you mentioned that it's lightweight, obviously it's putting in a vertical. Does the fact that it goes around the arms, like meaning I don't think, I haven't used it, but I don't think children can move their arms freely when they have a puddle jumper on, correct?
0: They can't. That is correct. Yeah, Um, And I also want to be, make the distinction that a Coast Guard approved life jacket is always, always, always recommended when you're on a boat Mm -hmm. or near a natural body of water or participating in water sports. And I suggest the ones that are like the vest kind, because a child can actually use their ISR skills with the life jacket on. And I do provide life jacket lessons for my families. Mm. Um, uh, there was an instructor who put out a video showing a fully skilled student trying to use their ISR skills with a puddle jumper on and then with a life jacket on. And it was a very different scenario because he couldn't even really like turn over because the flotation device, the puddle jumper is focused more on the front. There's
2: mm-hmm. really not
0: much on the back. So, and of course it does restrict our movements as well this is so helpful. Well,
1: cause we just went on a trip to the Bahamas and obviously we were in the ocean and then we were in a wave pool, which, you know, obviously Ryan does, is not an avid swimmer because we, we weren't able to do ISR. So we, you know, we're with him, but we also in the ocean because we were on like, you know, natural body of water, we did do a life vest, which was helpful yes. because of that added to us being with him, you know, holding him, like you said, that weight, it's different. And I, I do agree. I think there is a lot of you know, safety shaming. And I I want to be very clear that me and Erica, we're not shaming people, but we want to educate you on the risk. And I have seen children think they have their puddle jumper on, jump into the water because their body has been so used to having it on that when they go out for a snack and then they end up going back into the water without it, they think they have it on, but they don't. And then like Erica saying, your child's now in the body of water, flailing their arms in a vertical position which is the drowning position and they can drown and i've seen this like i was at a party where this is before i became a doctor where um a child who had a puddle jumper on took it off and ended up almost drowning and the mom clear ran from the inside of the house this is like over 15 years ago inside of the house ran to pull the child out so the child was fine but what if at a crowded party yes we didn't see that Right? right. And that and, is what, yeah, yeah I want to, I want to make sure parents understand the risk. You can make your own choices, but just know that there is a risk that is very real and
0: I see it. And that's why we're talking about it. Yeah. And it's not, oh, my child knows he can only go in the water with his floaties on or my, um, no. I'm always watching them, whatever it is. What happens when your child gets away from you? Cause it's physically impossible to watch your child a hundred percent of the time. It, it completely is. And especially as a parent now of two, you can't. There's just no way. Yeah. I think that's a very important distinction is that people think, oh, well, I'm doing it right. They know that they can only go in the water with a pedal jumper on. But like I said, kids don't have that cognitive ability yet in that age range.
1: And using this example, like I can tell you that that child was a very smart kid. That child mm-hmm. is a very smart kid outside of this situation. So if you're going to say, oh, they probably weren't making smart decisions, no, I'm telling you that this family, this child was extremely smart. This child understands things. But like you said, A puddle jumper is very light. And a child, especially between the ages of one to five years old, is not going to understand completely. And even older children, you know, you can't always guarantee that they'll have that understanding of, okay, this is this and this is that, especially when they're excited and everyone's playing. You know, it's not always going to be foolproof. And yes, you can say all the things you want, but again, make the choices. But if there are other options, like again, like you said, what about like pool
0: noodles? Like if you had that with an adult. I don't recommend those either because you could say that a child could sit on the pool noodle, Mm -hmm. the butt is down, the head is up. It's a vertical posture. If they're swimming with it, they're usually swimming with their heads up out of the water. The same thing goes for like a doggy paddle, a kickboard. Um, There's actually these swimsuits that have flotation in the abdomen area. Mm. So it's anytime your child is swimming with their head up out of the water, that is an improper swimming posture. Kids and young children carry a majority of their weight in their heads and upper bodies. So... Swimming with their head up out of the water is actually really inefficient for them. Um, if you swim with your head in the water, you can go much faster and further and with using less energy. I was a child that was raised on... I had some traditional swim classes. I was had water wings on, all that stuff. And whenever i go to the swimming with my friends, I would be doggy paddling because I didn't want to get my face wet or that's mm. how I was accustomed to swimming. I would tire out so easily and it didn't make sense to me. Like I didn't make that connection. So we don't want a child to be doggy paddling because their hips can drop and also they are doing double the amount of work trying to support their head up out of the water, breathe and their arms and legs are going like twice as much because the pool noodle and the kickboards and all that stuff help to encourage that head up out of the water posture. I don't recommend those either unfortunately.
1: This is no very helpful and I hope people just understand the risks and they can decide what they do with it but just know that well-meaning families have had tragedies with them, yes. which is why we're talking about this. Now, the last and final thing I wanted to ask. So one of the biggest barriers or two was the time commitment. You said that some children, it can take four to 11 weeks, depending on the <laughs> age and what's going on, weather delays and traffic and cancellations, COVID, whatever, okay? Uh-huh. Um, we know that. That is a huge time commitment. 10 minutes, Monday through Friday for four to 11 weeks. The other is the cost. So first of all, the cost, is it because of the one-to-one for four to 11 weeks? Uh, so the 11
0: weeks, that was one child. So the yeah. majority of the, majority 8, of the students, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, the average is six. I always schedule eight just to cover us in case there are weather. So it's on the, the parent's calendar. So with the time commitment, that it can be very difficult. And a child will not leave the program until they're fully skilled. Yeah. So that's also really important to understand. So if you do sort of run out of time, you can either transfer to another instructor or continue with that instructor until your child is fully skilled. The cost, it's... Okay, so with traditional lessons, there really is no end point. It's not like, okay, you are in these lessons for X amount of time and then I'll see you intermittently for maintenance. That's how ISR is. With traditional, it's open-ended. So you could be paying a lesser amount For a longer period of time. And if you look at one to two years worth of traditional lessons, what is that child going to learn in that amount of time? And two, you're probably going to be at about the same amount, maybe even above what you would for an ISR session. So, well, it's basically more upfront. Because I've paid out of pocket for ISR lessons, I can understand that how much of a commitment it is on the financial side. We treated it like any other large purchase for our family we asked family members to, instead of, I mean, a one-year-old, he just needs, you know, a box for his first birthday. Yeah. Um, I asked instead for money towards ISR lessons. So you can do that as well, or you can allocate your money. Like if you have Christmas coming up at, at Christmas time, I always tell people this, maybe don't get them as many things, maybe get mm-hmm. them something small and then put some money aside. Now it's also very important to know, like, especially with rising costs, inflation, and all that stuff. Affording certain things can be much more difficult. If you qualify, there are survival swim scholarships available. A few of the organizations that I've personally worked with and that other ISR instructors work with are the Silas Project. They're actually local to South Florida, mm-hmm. and I um I recently taught the younger brother of Silas just this past oh. spring, which was awesome. Um, the Judah Brown Project and Live Like Jake. There are also a number of other scholarship organizations on ppcd.org. That's the Parents for the Prevention of Childhood Drowning. Um, So these scholarships are available, but they are need-based. And every scholarship organization has their own requirements. And there might be another scholarship organization that I haven't listed that might be available in your area that I just am not aware of because they're local.
1: Yeah. And I will add the ones that you mentioned on the show notes of this episode. But like you said, um, I agree with that, that my charge, and I'm sure maybe the rates may depend based on where you're living, but yes. I'm going to be very transparent here that where I was living, it was 120 a week. So that would be $960 for eight weeks. I'm just giving these numbers for my area just so that people can hear. So that's $960. And we knew that going in, but we were like, look, he's going to learn. And then we were supposed to do, once he graduated, once a month. For a week, just to touch up, like make sure that Uh he stays fresh. Okay. So let's use 960 upfront, which is a lot. Okay. Fine. But right now, we have him in traditional swim classes because of the time commitment and um, the weather or whatever. And that cost right now is 240 a month for two classes a week. Okay. So ISR was five days a week. I know they're longer, but they're more one on one. So that's 200, whatever, 50 a month. So already he's not learning as much with the traditional swim classes. So I agree with you that when you look at it from an investment standpoint, your child is going to learn safety quicker, safety, like survival and also swimming. So that to me is worth the money. When you look at it from an investment standpoint, you have to think of it as you said, like an investment. And then on the other standpoint is if you're spending like so much money on like I know I'm speaking to many different crowds here because some people listening to this cannot afford it. And I, I want to respect that. And that's why there's scholarships and I I love that. But even just if you buy like a thousand dollar stroller or a snoo, snoo is like one of those cribs, right? <laughs> to me, this is in a, a huge investment that I would take over those things or even an addition to those things, because this is going to teach survival. And so I think this is something to kind of think about in the big picture. And then the last thing is do you have instructors in your area? Because not all every place in the country has, you know, a lot of people. And I know a lot more instructors are coming on, um, with the ISR program, which is amazing, but, um, I will also attach the link to look for ISR certified instructors in your area too, so that you can find somebody.
0: Yes. And if you don't have instructors near you, there are a couple of options you can apply to become an instructor yourself. That's what I did. Um, you can go to ISRCareers.com. Another thing that people don't really think about is if you have access to a pool and there's demand in your area, and let's say your nearest instructor is like 50 miles away, contact Mm -hmm. that instructor and ask if they will do a travel session. I -hmm. know specific instructors that travel all across the country to do travel sessions. Um, And then if none of those are options for you, just be very detailed with the questions that you ask of the swim program that's available to you. Because while ISR is expanding, we are not everywhere yet, and that's one of the most the cost and the availability of instructors. Whenever I have someone comment on my social media or whatever saying, "There's no one within a hundred miles of me," it breaks my heart because I can't do anything about that. Yeah. I want to physically go there and teach that child, but I can't. Um, so, questions to ask when researching swim lessons are: Will my child get to their air by themselves? That's the most important thing that they can get to their air and survive. What will my child learn? And in what amount of time? What are the instructor qualifications? Are floaties used? They shouldn't be. Are clothing lessons part of the checkout process? Most children fall into the water when it's not swim time. So they're usually fully clothed. What's the instructor ratio? Like we've talked about one-to-one versus group. And then also what safety protocols are going to be in place during the lessons, because that can be important as well.
1: These are great. That's a great final message, by the way, because that is what I think is important, wherever you're searching, wherever you are in the country. And Erica, thank you so much for joining me. This was so enlightening. I hope everyone listening enjoyed it too, because there's a lot of misconceptions out there, you know? And I think, like we said, it's just important for families to know their resources, no pun intended, because this is an infant swimming resource, but um, it's just really important because I just feel like, like I said, in Florida, as a practicing pediatrician, I think it's an amazing resource if a family can make it happen with their time and money. And also when the AP released all that information of like, you know, it's not really research backed. It doesn't mean that just because something's not research backed, that it's not beneficial for a child. So you can do your own research. You can look at the videos. You can look at sea star ISR's account and all the information they provide because you can make that decision for yourself and you know, your child's development the best, you know, if you have access to a body of water, that this is a priority, and I'm saying it as a pediatrician who's seen drowning, like it is a priority for all children, i yes. adults by the way, but if you are going to be in a state or area where you are going to be around bodies of water, this is a very, very important priority that I want you to make sure that
0: you take care of. So thank you, Erica, for joining me today. Thank you so much. And this was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's doc talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Pete's doc talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye bye, late night googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Pete's Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel.